Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you at uh, Grace Point Church. And uh, I give you greetings both from my church, Grace Baptist Church in Lancaster, and also from Lancaster Bible College. Now, I see some folks out here that definitely qualify as students at Lancaster Bible College. And I say that because I see people breathing, okay? Uh, we'd love to talk to you if you uh, have any interest in gaining more knowledge of the Word of God, of uh, maybe having the Lord speak to you about a life of ministry. Uh, I'd love to speak with you afterwards. And I do appreciate Tim inviting me to come. Uh, Tim is uh, a longtime friend of our family, of our children, one of my sons especially, who uh, went to Lancaster Bible College with Tim and grew up together with him at Grace Baptist Church. So it's good to be here. I've been here before. Any of you know that I've been here before? Probably not. It's been a while. I think I was here at a um, uh, vacation Bible school, right? Uh, evening program of teaching the adults. But it's good to be back with you. Well, uh, Christmas is over. New Year's is upon us. And for some people, this is kind of a time to take stock and look at the year gone by and think about the year to come. And I know, especially for some adults, uh, this is a time to think about the portfolio, the investments, and uh, Am I in good shape? Am I taking care of my investments properly so that when retirement comes, I will be able to live comfortably in, with my investments? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm at the age where it's too late. Some of you may be at that point as, as well. Uh, and for some of you, I was talking to these young men up here and greeting them, some of you may be thinking to yourself, it's too early. It's too early. Well, I'll tell you what, it's never too early to be thinking about your future and making sure that you're making wise investments and you're preparing for that future. Now, that's certainly true in the world but all the more so that is true as Christians. It's important that we think about spiritual investments. And how is my spiritual portfolio? Am I making the kinds of investments in the kingdom of God <clears throat> that will pay off with great dividends in the future? Well, you'll notice uh, that I've entitled the sermon, The Foolish Investor, Avoiding the Mistakes in Your Spiritual Investments. And I'm looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 25. This is a very, very familiar parable. I'm not going to read all of those verses for you. But in Matthew chapter 25, the Lord gave a parable about an, a man that invested his wealth in slaves. And he gave to one slave five talents. And remember that a talent is a very large measure of money 
in the Bible. It's not talking about your gifts and abilities, though I think spiritually we can apply it that way. But he gave to one man five talents, a very large amount of money to invest for him. To another, he gave two talents, and to another, he gave one talent. And then he went away, and they were to invest while he was gone. And he came back and he had them account for the way in which they had invested his resources that he had entrusted to them. And we know that the one with the five talents had doubled his money uh, and was able to give back to his master 10. And the one who had two talents doubled his money and was able to give back to his master four. But the one who had one talent He had not been a wise investor. And he said to his master, well, here's your one talent. I'm giving it back to you. And things didn't work out so well for this foolish investor. Let's see what it says. Matthew uh, 25, verses 28 and 30. Therefore, his master said to him, take away the talent from him And give it to the one who has ten talents. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you agree things did not work out well for this investor? Would you agree you don't want to be in his situation when the master asks you to give an account of what you have done for him. How can we avoid the mistakes? I want you to notice three results. First of all, this individual lost what was entrusted to him. His master said, take that one talent away from him. Take it away. He lost what was entrusted to him. This individual lost out on future rewards. He then entered into the kingdom. This individual lost his joy and happiness. Instead, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, it's important that we do not make the same mistakes as this individual. It's one thing to make these kinds of mistakes with the material things of this world. To be very truthful, we're kind of sad when we hear of people that have not made wise investments in the physical resources of this world, and they end up Pulpers. They end up in grief rather than joy. They end up wandering the streets or under the care of, the, uh, of people that they don't want. How much worse is it to make poor investment choices? when it comes to the kingdom of God. When we are foolish investors for God's purposes. Oh, the depths of the sorrow. Oh, the loss that will come to us 
when our master returns and asks us to give an account. And there is no one in this room, no one too old, no one too young, to be thinking about how they are investing what God has entrusted to them in his kingdom. Well, how can we avoid these mistakes? Oh, and by the way, I I want you to know, uh, for the things of this world, I have a financial planner. It's not a bad idea to actually go to somebody that knows what they're talking about, correct? To help you with those investments and giving you wise counsel. So this morning, what I'd like to be uh, is your financial planner to give you wise counsel. But it's not counsel that's coming from my lips. It's counsel that's coming from the lips of the Lord himself. Let's take a look at the parable and see what we can do to avoid this mistake. Well, first of all, if we're to uh, avoid what happened to this individual, we must replace our feelings of inadequacy with confidence. Let's go back and read again, Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And then the master went on his journey. I want you to notice that it says that he gave them these, this, this investment, this trust, these talents, each according to his own ability. So the person that had the largest ability got the largest amount. And the person that had the least ability got the least amount. Now, you ever think about the fact that this slave who received only the one talent had limited abilities. He had limited abilities. He could only handle one talent. I wonder how many times he must have said to himself, you know, I'm just not a 10-talent kind of guy. That's just not me. In fact, to be very truthful with you, I'm kind of worthless. I really can't do anything. He may well have been focusing on his own inability. He only had one talent, and he was unable to see his own value. Now, I wonder how many of you have ever looked in the mirror, thought to yourself, you know, I really don't have a whole lot to offer God. I don't have a lot of ability. I'm not a great speaker. I'm not really good in these areas of ministry or that area of ministry. I don't think God can use me. You focus on your inability, and you've got these feelings of insecurity I can't do anything for God. Take a look at some examples. 
1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David and Goliath. We all are familiar with that story. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, when Saul the king, uh, then Saul the king said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. Well, he's been a warrior from his youth. Remember that David Young David, the shepherd boy, who was absolutely blown away by the fact that this godless Philistine would dare to challenge the army of God, and nobody in the army was doing a thing about it. And he goes to Saul the king, and he says, Saul, I will take care of this Philistine. And Saul says, are you kidding me? You're but a youth. You've got nothing going for you. How in the world can you possibly kill this giant? Saul was focusing on David's inability. Isn't that true? He was focusing on David's inability. And I think there are some in this room right now who knows, I might be pointing at them, that think they're too young to do anything for God. Some of you may be saying to yourself, I'm too old to do anything more for God. You're focusing on your inability. Here's another example. John chapter 6, verse 9. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? There they are, Jesus and his disciples, uh, out on the, you know, the, the side of, of, uh, of a hill. And there's this huge crowd there. And Jesus says, uh, gentlemen, I'd like you to feed them. What a shock that must have been to the disciples. But they go and they find a lad and it says, uh, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fishes but what are these for so many? What are these for so many? Certainly, God, Lord, you can't use just five loaves and two fishes. They were focusing in on their limitations. They were focusing in on their inability. They weren't focusing in on God. We have to replace all of these feelings of inability and focus on God. God who can provide us with confidence. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this. Not that we are adequate within ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So when we look in the mirror, no matter who we are, what do we see? We see someone who is totally inadequate for the task. Lord, I'm looking in the mirror. I am inadequate to teach that Sunday school class. Lord, I'm looking in the mirror. 
I'm inadequate to share the gospel with my neighbor. Lord, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm inadequate to help out. That's true. Stop looking in the mirror. Start looking at God. Our adequacy is not in ourselves. Our adequacy is in God. Back to David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 37. David said in response to Saul, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul is focusing on a little boy who's totally inadequate for the task. David is focusing in on God who's completely adequate for the task. Stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on God. Replace all of those feelings of inadequacy with confidence in God. Philippians 4.13, the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? What is there that you've been challenged by God to get involved with in his kingdom business? What is it that you've been saying to yourself, I can't do that? It's time to replace your feelings of inadequacy with confidence in God. If God has given you even one talent, he also provides you with the ability to invest it wisely for his kingdom. Well, secondly, we need to replace feelings of intimidation with boldness. Going back to our parable, the man who had just the one talent says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. I was intimidated, Lord. I was too afraid. I knew what kind of a master you were. I knew exactly what you would be expecting. Boy, if I lost this talent, I knew I was in big trouble. So I went and hid it. You know, I believe, and I can't tell you I'm a prophet or a seer, and Tim has not talked to me at all, but I'm still convinced there are people sitting in this room today that are hiding their talents. They're hiding their talents. And the reason you're hiding your talent may be because you're afraid. You're intimidated. 
He was afraid, so he hid his talent, and he was unwilling to take a risk. Teach that Sunday school class. What if I fail? What if everybody laughs at me? Share the gospel with my neighbor? What if I'm embarrassed by the way I say something? Many of us fail to use what God has given us simply because we're intimidated. We're intimidated. We're unwilling to take a risk in investing what God has given to us. Back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says in verses 10 and 11, and again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that, may fight, that we may fight together. Then Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. This giant intimidated them. And you know, every day, there they were in the Elah Valley and the uh, army of Israel on one ridge and the army of the Philistines on the other ridge. And every day that Philistine, that giant, would come out into the valley and he would taunt the, the people of Israel. He would taunt the army. He would taunt Saul. And every time he came out, they got just a little bit more afraid than the time before. Totally intimidated. Here's a passage about the disciples. John chapter 20, verse 19. Now you have to put this in context. Jesus has been crucified. And he's in the grave for three days. And finally, Mary and some of the women come to the grave. And Jesus confronts Mary and says, I'm alive. And she takes it back to the disciples. And she says, he's alive. On the evening, that first Easter evening, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's been alive all day long. That evening, or that uh, first day of the week in the evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus is raised. He's alive. He's conquered his enemies. But where are the disciples? Behind locked doors. For fear of the Jews. I think that's exactly what many of us do in our lives. Oh, yeah, we've heard the rumors that Jesus is alive that he has conquered all of the enemies. But we still lock our doors. We're still afraid. We haven't yet been able to replace all of this fear with boldness and courage by realizing that Jesus is alive. Boldness comes from trust, trust, leads to courage, and 
uh, we need to take a risk for God. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do you believe that? I will uphold your right hand. I say to you, do not fear. I will help you. Are you going to look at all of the things that intimidate you? Or are you going to look to God who has promised that he is here with us and he will help us. Back to 1 Samuel. Then David said to the Philistine, now they're out in battle, right? They're getting ready to fight. And remember that when Goliath sees this wimpy little kid coming at him with nothing but a couple pebbles, he is absolutely incensed. So what am I, a dog, that you come to me like this? I want you to send out a real warrior against me. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. David is not focusing on Goliath. David is focusing on God. There are some kind of scary enemies out there. There are giants in the land. But we've got to replace that intimidation with confidence in God trusting him and becoming bold. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Acts chapter 2 is taking place 40 days after Jesus had been raised from the dead. Uh, And it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him Lord in Christ. These are the words of Peter. Peter is standing at the steps of the temple on the day of Pentecost. 50 days after the 40, excuse me. All right. There are crowds, thousands, tens of thousands of people that are walking up to the temple on the day of Pentecost. And Peter boldly proclaims, Jesus Christ. What happened? Here's the guy that locked the door, totally intimidated by the Jews, who now is standing in front of all of them, boldly declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. What happened to him? What happened to Peter was that he took his eyes off of the intimidation. And he put his eyes on Jesus. That's what happened. We need to replace that intimidation with a confidence in God that leads to boldness. Well, thirdly, 
we need to replace our feelings of indifference with passion. Going back once again, it says this in Matthew 25, 26, the Lord of that master says to him, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Notice the master's interpretation of the slave's action. He said, you are a wicked, you are a lazy slave. He didn't want to take the time to invest in what the Lord had given him. He was wicked, and he was lazy, unwilling to work hard with what God had given him. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We don't want you to be lazy. There are an awful lot of Christians that are lazy, spiritually lazy. They enjoy God. They enjoy coming and sitting and hearing about God. Oh, they enjoy even praising God. But when it comes to working, working for God, they're lazy, indifferent, not understanding that God is going to make you accountable for what he has invested in you spiritually. 1 Samuel 17, 26. This is early in the story. David has been sent by his father to, uh, to in a sense, bring lunch to his brothers that are in the army. And, he, and, and David comes to, to see how the battle is going. Uh, and David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? Now, I want you to understand, when it says that David spoke to the men who were standing by him, guess what their occupation was? Soldiers. Their occupation was being a soldier. So he comes into the camp where all the soldiers are, and what are they doing? They're standing around. Do you understand that? They're standing around. God chose them as soldiers, but they're only standing around. God has chosen all of us as soldiers. But unfortunately, most of us just stand around. We're indifferent. Matthew 26, 40. The story of the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus goes out to the garden for the last time to pray because he realizes that the agony is about to come upon him. And he took Peter, James, and John 
came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me one hour. Peter, James, and John, would you please come and pray with me? Come and pray for me. And Jesus in his agony goes to pray and he comes back and they're asleep. What in the world would Jesus see today if he came back to his church? I think he would see many Christians who are asleep. They're asleep when God wants us to be awake. We need a fervent spirit, a spirit that manifests itself in active life. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Paul says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. What does it mean to be fervent in spirit? To be fervent in spirit means to be serving the Lord. Fervent in spirit is not simply a matter of singing the songs louder. Raising our hands in worship. Fervent in spirit means serving the Lord. We have not done a good job of doing the hard work for Jesus. Again, back to David and Goliath. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Don't you worry, Saul. Don't be so afraid. Don't be so intimidated. Don't let your hearts uh, you know, fail. Your servant, David, will go and fight with this Philistine. Pastor, don't let your heart be so upset. I will teach that Sunday school class. Pastor, don't worry. I'll go out and share the gospel. Do you kind of get it here? Right? A little boy who understood that being indifferent was not acceptable. He had to replace that indifference with a passion, with a zeal, with a desire to serve God and work hard and fight the fight. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The church is beginning to grow, and with that growth came persecution. They had just come from being arrested. They had come back to the place where the other disciples were. And this is what it says, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The leaders have said, we don't want you talking about Jesus anymore. But the Holy Spirit shook their lives. And they spoke with boldness. 
these are not days to be silent. More than ever, with a world that is against us, that is intimidating, we must not be indifferent. We must be bold. To avoid the mistakes of the worthless slave, stop feeling inadequate. Be confident. Stop feeling intimidated. Be bold. Stop feeling indifferent. Be passionate. You have an opportunity to take a look at your spiritual portfolio. Right now, today. What will God do in your life if you are willing to take maybe even just the one talent that he's given to you and to use it without fear, to use it without thinking, I can't do it, to use it without being indifferent. God can transform this church and this community if you are willing to be a wise investor in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, as we think about the talents, the gifts that you have given to us, we realize, Father, that you have given them to us as investments. And you are looking for us to take those talents and invest them in your kingdom in ways that will reap a harvest of great reward in souls, in people coming into the kingdom of God. Oh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to replace these things that can keep us from being wise investors. Help us to be like those that had the five and those that had the two talents, using them wisely, energetically for your kingdom's business. We pray it in Jesus' name.